Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. And welcome to episode number 165 of Linux in the Ham Shack. Uh, we keep putting them out every couple of weeks, even though we're all super, super busy these days. But we wouldn't want to let anyone down. So, uh, 165 is coming your way. I'm the host, Russ, K5TUX. And we also have from lovely, possibly snowy Greeley, Colorado, Rich, KD0RG. Hello. So, is it snowy in Colorado? No, we had a we had a quick storm that uh, moved on out, and everything's gone. And we also have Cheryl. Hello, everyone. Who hopefully by Saturday will actually have a, a license. So we'll yeah, find that. Yeah, that that is the goal. Yeah, Russ is forcing me to uh, <laughs> go take my test on Saturday morning, making me get out of bed at seven o'clock in the morning. Well, you don't technically have to get out of bed at 7 o'clock in the morning, because the well, test isn't until 10, but the ham fest starts st- at 8. Starts right? at 8, yes, and Linux and the Ham Shack will be there. Which, by the way, is the Ors Ham Fest, which is at W0OAR.com. So it's if anybody's in, in Alverna, Missouri. Yeah, southwestern Missouri or anywhere around there, you come check us out. We'll be there. Yes. So, all right, Rich, read a story. Well, from the news desk. In Greeley, Colorado. <laughs> this is Rich Gordon. <laughs> totally didn't work. <laughs> Segment one, amateur radio. The UK to sell 750 megahertz of radio spectrum. In the 2016 budget, the chancellor of the exchequer, George Osborne, announced that 750... What is the exchequer? Oh, it sounds like a finance ministry or something, doesn't Yeah, that, it? that's what I was wondering. Yes, yes, in the 2016 budget, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, George Osborne, announced that 750 megahertz of public service, public sector radio spectrum would be released. The amateur services currently share much spectrum with the public sector. The budget 2016 says, quote, Electromagnetic spectrum is a valuable and scarce resource. Budget 2016 announces a new government commitment that 750 megahertz of valuable public... I don't know where I'm going with that. Sector spectrum (laughs) bands under 10 gigahertz will be made available by 2022, of which 500 megahertz will be made available by 2020. This builds on government's previous 2010 commitment and will deliver wider economic benefits by generating capital receipts and by supporting innovation and digital communication services and the development of new technologies, unquote. So that came from Southgate uh, Amateur Radio Club.org. Exchequer is the Royal or National Treasury. Treasury. So Roy. You went straight from London to Brisbane. Yeah, uh, or, yeah, or Sydney or something. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, he's in Australia now. Okay. <laughs> off my game i guess well that's that's really interesting i don't think we've had a sale in a while here in the states have we no we've been trying to get spectrum not give it away what are you crinkling not give it away um, sell it <laughs> sell sorry. money i didn't think you'd hear i didn't think you'd hear <laughs> we, we heard it was his dinner okay. was it was, it was, uh, that, was that your microwave twix. burrito oh okay <laughs> twix microwave burrito kind of on the same level yeah, <laughs> have the same health benefits. Oh, something, <laughs> something's got to get me through, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> for me, it's fuzzy navels. Okay. <laughs> this was actually released. There was another link in a, to an article that the Southgate ARC had mentioned in this story that kind of made it sound like this was a bad thing. I'm not sure really why, unless unless amateur radio is somehow involved in this bit of spectrum and won't have access to it anymore, but it's not real clear from the story. But if that interests you and you're in the UK, that's probably the only place that it will interest you. The links, of course, will be in the show notes. Moving on, we'll hit another amateur radio topic, and this one is UC Berkeley trains and tests hundreds of new hams. Uh, For the third year in a row, scores of mostly electrical engineering and computer science students cap their participation in one of two ham radio-related classes taught by UC Berkeley EE-CS professor Michael Mickey Lustig. KK6 MRI. 
His lower division hands-on ham course is for sophomores, while his upper division digital signal processing course is aimed at juniors and seniors. The entry-level course exposes newcomers to ham radio and introduces them to hacking and making, Lustig explained. While the advanced class delves into the theoretical applications of digital signal processing, filter design, modulation, demodulation, decoding subcarriers, APRS audio interface techniques, and antenna design. Both classes feature hands-on practical projects that require them to transmit on radio frequencies, so students are motivated as part of their courses to become licensed amateur radio operators. So that is pretty cool. There's a college pumping out hams. <laughs> I think it's very cool. Yeah. Uh, I know that a lot of the um, get their license because they're working on uh, CubeSats and stuff, but this sounds more of a general thing. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. This is very cool. So good on you, UC Berkeley. Then there's a mention at the beginning of this article that I didn't leave in about the fact that California has the highest number of licensed TAMs by state, I think. And they cite this as one of the possible reasons for, for that. Cheryl, you want to read one? Sure, what the heck. <laughs> oh, yay. Let's go ahead. <clears throat> ARRL urges FCC not to impose overbroad notification requirements. In a filing on March 10th, the ARRL has asked the commission not to adopt a quote-unquote an overbroad requirement for notification of utilities in advance of intended amateur radio operation on the pending 2200 and 630 meter bands. Regulatory provisions under consideration have included a possible notification requirement by some radio amateurs to utilities that operate PLC systems in that region of the spectrum. Utilities use unlicensed PLC systems to control parts of the electrical power grid. The ARL expressed concern that the vague reference to a notification procedure by UTC might lead the FCC to adopt an overbroad notification requirement for radio amateurs. The league further pointed out that PLC systems operating between 9 and 40 490 kilohertz are not subject to protection from licensed services. Any sort of blanket notification requirement would be clear regulatory overkill, the ARRL concluded. Neither would it be reasonable to require across-the-board notification, even by amateur stations located within one kilometer of the transmission line, because the chances that a particular transmission line is carrying PLC and makes use of either band are extremely small. Well, there you go. So you understand all that? I have no freaking clue. <laughs> well, actually, I know I I kind of have an idea of what it is. They're afraid that it's going to, what, backfeed into radios or something? They're wanting people who are going to be broadcasting in the 2200 and 630 meter bands to have to announce to or to notify uh, power companies if they're going to be operating on those frequencies and the ARRL is just worried about excessive uh, enforcement of this notification because the licensed frequencies, assuming they become licensed if they aren't already, uh, in the amateur radio spectrum would sort of have priority uh, over unlicensed use by utilities. So gotcha. they, don't want the, they don't want the overbearing burden of having to notify utilities since they're using the licensed on spectrum, or unlicensed spectrum. What I want to know is if you're a ham radio operator and you want to operate at 2,200 meters, what kind of antenna do you have to have <laughs> that's electrically 2,200 meters long? And I'm not sure what that would be good for, because it's like 140 kilohertz, I think, is where that is. Let's see, 2,200, I've got uh, an ARRL article on it. Low frequency band, let's see, 135 kilohertz. And 475-ish kilohertz. So 135 kilohertz would be 2,200 meters, and 475 kilohertz would be 630 meters. So, wow. Yes, sir. That is super low frequency. wonder what that's good for. Really, really long ground wave? Because the frequencies that low don't hit the atmosphere, do they? I'm testing, testing my electronics knowledge right now. You got me. <laughs> Maybe someone in the chat room has some idea. How the, how the propagation for frequencies this low actually works. You know, because 80 meters and 160 meters are typically ground wave, and those are frequencies as high as 2 megahertz. Amateur radio just figures out all these crazy things to do with the weirdest parts of the radio spectrum. There's a schematic of a 2200 meter transceiver in that PDF. Oh, I see it. Yes, yes. 
Longing for the days when amateurs built their own gear and DX was big news. They're back again on the top, top band. Wow, I'm looking at the antenna. Look at figure four. I know, I see that thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's a monster. It is a monster. I mean, that's obviously not 2,200 meters long. It's a parallel 100 meters. Yeah, so it's the length of a football field and then some. Sure, we can have like four of them. (laughs) Yeah, transatlantic experiments on long wave. Uh, This is why amateur radio is very cool. Uh, there's there's something for everybody, that's for sure. Ted in the chat room mentions using uh, VLF for talking to submarines, which they did do, but I think the frequencies for submarine communication are even lower than 130 kilohertz. I thought they were on the order of, like, just hundreds of hertz. Something ridiculously low. But, actually, we can look it up real quick. Let's, let's divert. <laughs> Again? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, let's do it, yeah. VLF... Submarine communication methods, transmitted power anywhere from 20 kilowatts to 2 megawatts. And is there anything here about frequency? It says frequency range below 9 kilohertz is not allocated by the ITU and may be used in some nations license-free. I don't see anything here about transmission frequencies for submarine communication. I know they're in the VLF part of the spectrum, and VLF is listed as 3 kilohertz to 30 kilohertz. So moving on from our amateur radio topics, we'll hit some open source topics. And this one is actually all over the interwebs. There's about a bazillion sources out there for it. I just happened to get one from Engadget. But the story is animation software used by Studio Ghibli will soon be free. You may not have heard of Toons animation software, but you've no doubt seen work it was used in. Studio Ghibli films like Spirited Away from Hayao Miyazaki uh, and the animated series Futurama used it. Now the Toons Ghibli edition used by legendary Japanese filmmakers Miyazaki is going open source, making it free to use by studios and novice animators alike. The deal came after Japanese publisher Dwango acquired the software from Italian developer Digital Video. It's now focusing on customization and training, will still sell a premium version to companies, at a very competitive price. The software, which used to run thousands of dollars, is now free for aspiring editors. It takes considerable effort to learn software as deep as tunes, but now that it's free, it'll be easier for aspiring, air, <laughs> aspiring animators to become the next Miyazaki or Takahata. It will be presented officially at Anime Japan in Tokyo, which starts on March 26th. So that's very cool. I might download it just to have a copy of it. Seems kind of neat. It does say it has a very steep learning curve, though, but software that used to cost thousands of dollars and that can actually create animated features like Futurama and stuff? Hey, how cool would that be to just have for free? Very cool. I wonder what kind of resources it needs. Oh, and Tunes, by the way, is Tango Oscar Oscar November at Zulu. And, of course, a link to the Engadget story will be in the show notes. But all you have to do is look up Tunes, T-O-O-N-Z, and you'll find a thousand stories on it because it's everywhere. Projects like this don't open source themselves very often. Maybe we need to make a Linux in the Hamshack cartoon. And then you can make me a cow cartoon. Yeah, I can make you a car, cow, cow cartoon. Car, car, car. car cow tune. Yeah. yeah, I can make you that too. <laughs> All right, who wants to do the next one? I'll do it. Uh, okay, Rich wants to do it. <laughs> Good thing you said, yeah, because Cheryl was pointing was, your way too. I could see Cheryl. She kind of looks up, looks around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Mozilla's new servo, servo browser will be released in June 2016. Servo started as an experimental project belonging to the Mozilla research team, which set out to build a sleeker web layout engine as an alternative to Firefox default engine called Gecko. The difference between Servo and Gecko is that the former was coded entirely in Rust, a programming language that Mozilla developed for its applications, focused on performance and stability. Everything in Servo is a component, each with its own task and separated from the rest as much as possible, with the aim of reducing friction between misbehaving components and allowing for easy debugging and fixing of any future problems that may arise. Currently, Mozilla plans to release Servo as a standalone browser in June this year, with builds for Android, Firefox OS, yay, Mac, Linux, and Windows. Servo is still experimental, but the goal in releasing it 
is to make it easier for people to test it and file bugs. So there's um, something that your Firefox OS phone can do. Yeah, wow, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> your Firefox OS phone already has a browser, I assume. Uh, Firefox, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. the Gecko Firefox. Yeah, the, the problem with my particular phone is uh, there are never any updates, so so I will never get this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's some way to force download it or force install it. You you can build your you can build your own. Oh, maybe uh, you know what it it might show up in the uh, in their app store. Yes, I don't know. Here's if if that happens, you gotta let us know how Servo works out for you. You know the uh, the carrier always you know sends me a little message. Your browser needs to be updated. Why do you think they they went down this road as opposed to just uh, making Firefox better? Actually, that. Uh in my summarization of the story, the reason why they went down this road is actually in the main story. So you can read that if you want to find out the reason why they actually have this browser. Why didn't they just fix the one they have? I guess that's what I'm... Well, sometimes a project has grown to the point where it's more effort to fix it than to just start over, I think is probably where this has gone. (laughs) Like Windows, that you'd want to start over instead of trying to fix it. So like they could only go so far with Gecko and they said, ah, we... We better switch gears. There, there was some sort of partnership with another company to to develop a different software browser with Mozilla. So they started developing it, and I kind of figure somewhere along the line they said, "Hey, this is actually kind of a thing. Maybe we should work on this more." And kind of that's where they're at now. Cool. Anyway, details about that partnership and and why there is a servo edition of Firefox is in the story. Softpedia link in the show notes. So you I'm there the now. Okay. So you're going to read the last one? Sure. What sure. the heck? Okay. Okay. Woohoo! Woo! Yay. Yeah, I'm not coughing, so I can probably read. Yay. Watch. In two minutes, I'm going to start <laughs> just, hacking just start, again. Just start, start reading. <laughs> New York bill would provide tax credit for open source contributors. For many years, the open source software community has made the distinction between freeze and freedom and freeze and bear. What many people don't consider is that developing open source software has a cost as well. Many developers purchase extra hardware for testing or paid for code hosting, a website, and so forth. A pending bill in the New York Senate aims to help offset these costs. The bill, sponsored by Senator Daniel Squadron, co-sponsored by Senator Ruth Hassel Thompson, would provide a tax credit of 20% for the Expenses associated with the development of open source and free software, up to an annual maximum of $200. Based on a 2006 report by the Center for American Progress, this bill appears to be the first of its kind introduced to a state legislature. The Open Source Initiative, OSI, provided guidance on factual matters related to open source and free software. Senator Squadron's office has indicated that public support seems to be growing, and an increasing awareness of the economic impacts of open source technology can be a major driver of bipartisan support. And that actually came from opensource.com. And there's also a link in the show notes, or will be, to the Senate site for New York, where you can actually get the text of the bill and all that kind of stuff if you're interested. Uh, And if you happen to live in New York State and are an open source contributor, so there you go. I feel kind of bad for the uh, senator, though. Last name is Squadron. Squadron. Uh, I've seen worse. <laughs> no, no, I know, I know. So, <laughs> well, at least his street team could be the Squadron Squadron. There you go. <laughs> so, I guess, uh, whatever. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. this is great. I, it's uh, you know, it's not gonna make or break anybody, but it's just a little, uh, you know, no. acknowledgement that yeah. uh, you know, open source hardware is, is important for society. Absolutely. I don't think how people in the world understand how many companies, corporations, governments, etc. actually use Linux. We went to see the movie Zootopia last week, and they actually, in the, the ending credits, they actually had their Linux development team listed. And there were a dozen-ish people in the list. And that's the first time I've ever seen that. And I was like, woohoo! Linux got a mention. My favorite credit from that movie was Caffeination. Yes, the Caffeination team. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was just a guy. There, there was, there was a, one person. I thought there was, thought there was, no, there was one there. guy. His name was like Marco something. But they had he had a he had a screen credit for Caffeination. <laughs> well, you know, he had to be his own little Starbucks 
Apparently, he just gave Dude. coffee to the entire cast and crew, yeah. which, if he did, that was like 10,000 people. So, good on you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was animated, so they had to keep those people going. That's so. true. They had to keep them all caffeinated. All right, so that's it. Good on New York. New York has some weird views on things, but in this case, it's kind of working out for the better, I think. All right, so we're going to move on to Linux in the Ham Shack, and this segment's probably going to be a little thin tonight because... I've been too busy to kind of really work on anything, but I've got something to talk about. But Rich put in a kind of interesting project that's going on, so I'll let you go ahead and take this one. Okay, the Debian Summer of Code 2016 Ham Radio Transceiver. Students applying for this project are invited to submit two applications, one under the GNU Radio Project and another under the Debian Project. The aim of this project is to make ready-to-run solutions for ham radio enthusiasts like you and I. The typical use case ham is is a ham who has a spare computer in his shack. He should be able to boot the computer from DVD or USB stick using the Debian Ham Radio Live Blend or the GNU Radio Live SDR and have a functional transceiver within a few minutes. A student may not be able to do everything required for this project in one summer. We're looking for a student who can make any incremental improvement to bring us closer to this goal. So I just uh, I saw this summer a code thing. thought it was cool if somebody's interested in, uh, in helping out. So they need, obviously, they're, they're going to need some hardware people and software people. I, I like the idea of kind of developing an all-in-one embedded project for creating a Linux-based or an open-source-based, I guess, uh, transceiver. I assume someone will use a single-board computer-type system and something that you can plug a USB or a SD card into and just kind of bring up and have... I'm not sure how the hardware will work. I'm not sure if it'll be, like, daughter-boarded or actual like usb connected or something like that but the idea of having a a nice little quick and dirty and up and running you have a transceiver is kind of cool these summer of code projects tend to be really neat i know google does them or used to do them i think they stopped doing them i I never actually heard of the debian summer of code till this yeah neither did i and i i uh i I came somewhere showed up somewhere (laughs) i thought oh that's interesting i never heard of it either so I thought it would, uh, you know, we'd give him some love uh, since since we like the Debian. Well, not anyway. everyone likes the Debian, but I like the <laughs> Debian. So, <laughs> yeah, somebody, some people hate the Debian. So, oh, uh, didn't I say we like the Debian? Like you and I. Well, I'm not sure, but that's sure. Why not? That's what sure. you said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, as opposed to the Fedora. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with it. I actually used Fedora for a long time. I used Red Hat and Fedora for a long time as well. I started with Debian, moved into Red Hat, then to Fedora, and then back to Debian, which is where I now am. But I, I know them both. I use them both on a daily basis. I love the idea of the of the project, though. You know, here's a here's a piece of um, hardware. You plug it into this spare computer in your shack, and and you're ready to go. And you know, there's a piece of software. You know, obviously, hopefully. They're implying that it will be included in the Debian Ham Radio Live Blend, so that would—I don't know—just uh, just be really neat. There's there's something called the Hack RF out there, yes, and it's like a, it almost sounds similar to that in in some uh, in some ways. And of course, a lot of people are are making these uh, SDR transceivers. Let's hope it's not too long. We'll give them a couple of summers, and we'll see. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, it says it might not be done in one summer, so we'll give them two. We'll give them two. Yep. Yeah. Two's all you get. Make it happen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, uh, well. so as a little snide, a snide note, side note here. A snide note? Yeah. I, I went to IMDb and looked up Linux. There are actually two Linux-based movies. One is called The Code that came out in 2001. It's a Finnish-made documentary about you know, Linux. Uh, it features Eric Allman, Alan Cox, and Mad Dog Hall. And the next one is Revolution OS, and it has Mr. Torvalds, uh, Mr. Stallman, Eric Raymond, and Mr. Parents. All right. So we should find those. They both came out in 2001, interestingly, not, interestingly enough, and they both got a ranking of 7.5. Because the so, only people that watched them were geeks. interested in Linux anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> Wick in the chat room says, HackRF is way cool. So. <laughs> I'm looking here, and you know, they're, it doesn't look like they're actually interested in working with any hardware. I think is what they're trying to do is take 
hardware that's already been made, and there's lots of it, it looks like, and make a solution that's quick and easy. And, you know, so you just plug in your hack RF and it works. And that would be uh, very nice as well. A lot of the other uh, operating systems realize that, you know, they have to do that in order for them to be able to sell their operating systems. Right. <laughs> and it just doesn't happen a lot in, um, you know, I remember messing around with Quisk, which was a, would, you know, a software defined radio uh, program. And, oh man, it was hard to get configured and, you know, get everything working. And I was able to do it, but uh, most, uh, most newer users would, you know, be pulling their hair out trying to get that done. So it's always nice to have a little uh, a script that goes and, you know, finds everything and figures out what you got and starts it up. I'm a big fan of open source software, but I'm even a bigger fan of open source software that just works. Well, I will make a suggestion to any <laughs> and all developers out there making ham radio software, amateur radio software, that uses any kind of uh, rig control or anything, any anything that needs to use a USB port or a serial port. When that thing starts up, it has to check if the user's in the dial-out group. When you load Arduino software, that's the first thing it does. Oh, you're not a member of the dial-out group. Would you like to be added? Otherwise, you can't. You know, you can't program your Arduino. You know, FL Digi needs to do that. G-Rig needs to do that. Anything that uses a serial port should really, you know, have that in there because so many times people are, I can't get it to connect. I can't. And it's always, well, are you in the dial-out group? It's like, how is anybody supposed to know they're supposed to be in the dial-out group in order to <laughs> use the serial port? It doesn't make any sense at all. Right. But anyway, just things like that that can make the, you know, the user experience easier is, uh, is very important. I think I've mentioned many times on this program about trying to do something with rig control and that being the issue. And it's just something you don't even think about. So it's so it's easy for someone who even knows that that has to be the case to forget. Let's see what else is going on in the chat room. Kleewick is talking about HackRF. And maybe we need to talk about HackRF on a future episode. He's in Evergreen, which is just uh, west of Denver. Some good yeah. stuff comes out of Colorado. Hey, man, I know, dude. <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> <laughs> they just should give the eastern half of it back to kansas though is all i have to say <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> that's a long road from lyman to kansas city anyway we should probably so Russ, move on. yes we're talking about debian and they've got the ham radio pure blend they do and i have mentioned this because it's something that seems like a really cool project it's basically just a bunch of meta packages built on top of debian that are all ham radio specific, but the ham radio main maintainers have released it as a distribution, which is called the ham radio pure blend. This is something we've talked about before. You can actually download it as a live ISO. You can install it as the ham radio pure blend. It's based on stretch Debian stretch, which is the version that's coming out after Jesse It's currently testing. I decided that we have a couple of netbooks here that we tend to use when we're at Hamvention for doing our demos and stuff. And I was like saying to myself that this would be kind of a really cool thing to have on there and do the demos because all of the ham radio software that is maintained as packages by the Debian maintainers are in this distribution. I downloaded their distribution onto my computer. I DD'd it onto a USB stick. I put it in my netbook, and I could not get it to install, no matter what I did. Um, it's still in alpha. I want to say alpha 5 is the current release of Stretch right now. So that being said, your mileage may vary. Anytime you're dealing with alpha software, you know there can be problems. So I was definitely having a problem with this particular configuration. However, the nice part about this being just meta package-based is that you can sort of backdoor your way into the ham radio pure blend, which is what I actually wound up doing. What I did was instead of downloading stretch and the ham radio pure blend version of stretch is I downloaded Jesse. I went to install Jesse on the netbook and that actually went perfectly fine. I had no trouble with it whatsoever. Got Jesse installed. So the very next thing I did was change my Etsy apt sources dot list to reference the testing distribution instead of jesse and then i did a dist upgrade on my netbook 
It was actually Cheryl's netbook that I was doing this on. And I had a, a minimum set of packages installed from the Jesse distribution because I just needed to get it to the point where the netbook would actually boot up and have access to the network so I could download and do the upgrade. So uh, I did that. Then I, then I did the disk upgrade to Stretch, which went fine. Then I rebooted into Stretch, and then I used uh, TaskSell, T-A-S-K-S-E-L, which you may not recognize as a standalone command, but when you're doing a Debian install, at a later point in the installation procedure, you get to a page where it says, select additional software to install. And it gives you a list of options like the desktop environments, Mate and stuff, print servers, SSH servers, file servers, additional system utilities, so on and so forth. Well, all that actually is an invocation of the task cell command. So what I did was I, I went through the installation, the Jesse installation, without doing that step. Then I upgraded to stretch, and then I ran the task cell command straight from the command line. And that gave me the option to install the desktop environment, which I chose Mate, and then I chose uh, the additional system utilities and also the SSH server. Ran that, and then I had a full system based on Stretch working with a Mate desktop. So when I rebooted into that, then, because the Ham Radio Pure Blend maintainers are actually maintaining the meta packages in Stretch, you can go to the Debian Ham Radio Pure Blends website. It gives you a list of all of the meta packages that there are, and I think there's like a dozen of them, give or take. So all you have to do is an app-get install, and then list off all of the meta packages for the Ham Radio Pure Blend, and then it will go ahead and install all of the Ham Radio software that's available in the Debian repos. So I did that. The end result is after a sort of three-step kind of long-involved process, I had a working version of the Debian Ham Radio Pure Blend on a machine that would not run it straight as a live DVD or as a live USB stick. That's sort of really nice about this Pure Blend idea. And there's more Pure Blends than just the Ham Radio one. There, there are several different ones out there. But this is, of course, the one that's of interest to our listeners. Kind of a long way to get to the, to the end result, but at least there's a way to do it. And now uh, that netbook is actually working perfectly fine, and I'm going to do it to my netbook as well. And then if we uh, wind up going to Hamvention this year, we will have those on display and we'll be able to demo all kinds of ham radio software using those and the ham radio pure blend itself. What do you think the problem was with the, uh, with the live image? I don't know what the problem was, except that when it was getting to the point where it had to install additional packages from the network, there was something wrong with the wireless driver. It would work for a certain amount of time and then it would stop and nothing I could do could actually get it to reconnect to the wireless network. Okay. So I don't know if that's a problem with the Pure Blend itself or just a problem with the way the installer works. I never tried to actually connect the netbook to a, to a wired connection to see if that would sort of bypass that problem because I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was a problem with the encryption on the wireless network or something like that. It had something to do with the network, and I never did try and plug in a, a physical connection to see if I could bypass it that way. Well, it had also been years since the software had been updated on my. Yeah, but I just wiped it completely. Oh, did you? Yeah, uh, yeah. Sometimes if uh, if you have the oh, you have to get the the non free driver and put it on. Um, it's kind of a kind of a pain. So it it says here that the that the live images are based on Jesse, and the uh, stretch images actually aren't here. So yeah, like like you were saying, if you want to use those meta packages, you have to enable the stretch repository. I, I know that I got this running in QEMU. QEMU, uh, EMU, EMU, EMU. Uh, <laughs> I like QMUR. Anyway, um, and it worked great. Yeah, ev- everything's there. I'm trying to remember if they had categories for the menu, and I don't think they did. So you got to, you know, you got to look around. But uh, at least it's all there in one place. A lot of it winds up in the ham radio category, but there are no subcategories. And some of the so- the software actually winds up in places like education or science. Like XNEC2C or internet. I think FL Digi shows up in internet sometimes. I, th- um, I believe it shows up in ham radio and internet. And some of the software doesn't show up in the menus at all. So, correct. Yeah, you have to be a little careful about that. But if you want to know what gets installed, you can just look at the Debian ham radio pure blend page. It tells you all of the packages there are. 
you can figure out what's on your system, even if it's not necessarily showing up in the menu. I guess Absolutely. <laughs> I guess that's all I had to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there's 32 life and 64 like bit versions. <laughs> what's that? Sorry, I was talking over you. Oh, I was just saying there's 32 and 64 bit versions. And I had to install the 32-bit version because the netbooks that we have are old enough that they only have 32-bit processors. But uh, Yes, I believe uh, that's what I did with my little emulation there. But Tuknak is, uh, is included. Yes, it is. Tuknak is included. And that is how it's pronounced, Tuknak, not the way Tus- I did it back in the day. Tuknak, okay. Yep. Which, as we know, means penguin in Czech. Oh, nice. Well, <laughs> learn something every day. Well, if you're listening to that episode, you would have heard that already. <laughs> ah, that was, was like it was probably snowing and then and then my my uh <laughs> my concentration goes out the window. That's okay. We'll forgive you. Thanks. <laughs> well, let's move on to the music. We have an interesting bit of music for tonight, which you may like, you may hate, but if nothing else, it will show you how diverse my interest in music is because i'm pretty sure we have played nothing like this ever on the show i'm not really going to describe it i'm just going to introduce it and play it and then everyone can figure it out for themselves it's actually almost five and a half minutes long so you'll have plenty of time to go get yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it's a song called scene five uh, by a group called we are fm the album this comes off of is season one of course, I got it off of Jamendo. It was released back in January of 20... I think it was actually 2012. I have 2013 here, but it was one of those two anyway. The group is from the Netherlands. The link to the track will be in the show notes. I guess we can all figure out together what we think of this one. Scene 5 by We Are FM. If you want it so bad Tell me what you're gonna do to get it If you want it so bad Tell me what you're gonna do to get it Yeah. 
RFM. I liked it. As I said, yeah. a little dubstepy. Yeah, it's a bit of dubstep in there. I liked it. It's a hit. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised everyone kind of kind of hearkened to that one, but it's a little unusual. There are many ways to do like vocal distortion, and sometimes they just sit much better for me than other times. The the particular distortion they were using in that song just really kind of grooved for me, and uh, the track was actually pretty cool too. So we're getting down toward the the end here. I do believe we got some feedback from a couple episodes ago, but I have not had a chance to kind of ferret through it. So we will get through all of that in the next one. But we do have some announcements. So let's talk about some upcoming events and stuff going on. So stuff. Yeah, some stuff. So uh, give us a little insight into HamCon Colorado. Well, HamCon Colorado is coming to Colorado. <laughs> well, that that's good news. <laughs> Because if it was going to Alabama, people would be confused. And you know what that means, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stop by the dispensary on the whip to Keystone, bruh. <laughs> right <Okay>. on, bruh. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know if you I don't know if the Burnswell dispensary is still open or not, but it, it was right it was right off the highway as you're going down I seventy. Uh great names. They they come up with the most Anyway, they're just they're, anyway. <laughs> and of course, if you need Girl Scout cookies, they're parked out front selling as you leave. <laughs> well, I thought they were putting dispensaries up near the Girl Scouts. So I thought that's what oh, I was maybe that at. was it. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, there's Cush Gardens out in uh, beautiful Debec, Colorado. If anybody's interested, that's on the western slope. Uh, anyway, Hamcon, Colorado is coming. I don't actually visit these places. But <laughs> <laughs> it would it would be okay if you did. It's legal. He's it just is aware legal, of but them. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can uh, it it can affect my work. So uh, yes, I can yes, lose could. my license. Yes, that's a problem. <laughs> Your wife would probably <laughs> so, be very upset if that happened too. <laughs> yes, yes, she would. <laughs> so anyway, Hamcon Colorado is coming to the Keystone Conference Center in beautiful Keystone, Colorado. The theme for this convention is honoring the past, looking to the future. Mark the dates for the convention on your calendar now, May 13th to 15th, 2016. Registration is now open. Speakers will include Gordon West, WB6NOA, ARRL General Counsel Chris Imlay, W3KD, ARR President Rick Roderick, K5UR, Riley Hollingsworth, K4ZDH, and DX University will be there, and much, much more. Woo! Woo! Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> it's a great excuse to get to go up to the mountains. Keystone is on the uh, other side of the Continental Divide, actually. Uh, so it's on the you know the western side of the Continental Divide. So if you fly into Denver, you can you can drive over there. It's kind of a it's a very pretty pretty drive in the summer. 
<laughs> winter, on the other hand, <laughs> I had to I had to throw iron last Friday. Come on. <laughs> anyway, so, sometimes um, you can't get across I seventy in the winter time. No, throwing iron that's chaining up. That's, no, I, I understand uh, that, but there are okay. you know some some states you go to, and, and Colorado is one of them where they actually have gates across the on ramps because. They don't want your butt you out know, there. Sometimes there's four feet of snow out there, and the plows haven't got out yet, and you know. Uh, this is true. They do close the roads every now and then, although I will say that they have done a very good job up on the I-70 corridor because skiing is big money, so they, they keep that open. As much as humanly possible, I'm sure. Correct. All right, so get out to Hamcon, Colorado in, in May of this year. I kind of gather we might have like a presence there. Oh, really? <laughs> this is the first I've heard of it. Oh, is, is that? <laughs> oh, not so the... he's not volunteering. So there you go. <laughs> uh, which, which one did you say you were doing? It's a Longmont one. It's next month, Lark Fest, the Longmont Amateur Radio Club Ham Fest in Longmont, Colorado. Oh, that one. Okay. You don't want to do Hamcon, Colorado, too? I would love to do Hamcon. I'll have to look at the calendar. I. It's the weekend I, I after hadn't Mother's really Day. I really thought of it, to be honest. I don't know how far Keystone is from Greeley, but uh, since you're a trucker, oh, a, it probably feels like hours. not very far at all. Uh, no, no, it's uh, it's not far at all. And it's, oh, it's beautiful up there. It, it really is. Mini but, vacation for the family. There you go. Yeah, I might have to, uh, I might have to do that. Might want to check and make sure that the minivan is working well this time. <laughs> we have new ones now oh Ooh. excellent excellent yeah well let's not jinx anything don't All don't right. say anything about engines or transmissions or yeah let's not anything do that. like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so all online registration ends april 29th register soon yep. people get that done do it now all right there's also some debian hams who are considering attending friedrichshafen yes they are you're the one who has the good German accent. I'm just going to let you go with it. Yeah, well, discussion about the possibility of representing Debian and the Debian Hams blend uh, at Friedrichshofen is going on right now. The Debian Hams are considering attending Friedrichshofen. And also, did you know that you can purchase a Debian Swiss Army knife? Well, find out more at lists.debian.org forward slash Debian dash hams forward slash 2016 forward slash 03 forward slash msg 00020.html yeah 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 <laughs> in Switzerland they'll say like yo yo <laughs> I'm just gonna leave it alone so there you go <laughs> yes. did you really know that, that there are Debian Swiss army knives I thought that was cool that I, is very cool I didn't until I read the story now I do. I'm sure there's all kinds of junk out there we have no clue about. <laughs> I think there's the probably time. like Debian thongs out there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd be I'd put money on it. Don't we have Linux in the Hamshack thongs? <laughs> you used to be able to order them. I don't know if they're still on Cafe Press or not. I think we. I think they're still there. And yes, CafePress.com has a a storefront called Debian Underwear. Oh my word. <laughs> Yep, you can get thongs, boxers, briefs. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I have to say the the Debian logo on a thong just looks weird. Looks wrong. Yeah, there's something wrong about that. Uh but anyway. <laughs> uh slight digression here. There's a there's a card in Cards Against Humanity that's Pandora's Vagina. That's kind of what that looks like, actually. That's how I would represent that in text. <laughs> it's moving on. <laughs> They're the Debian Women's Boy Brief. Is that? I yeah, I don't know what that is. So. Um, I have a oh, they're, they're like hot pants. Yeah, I have boy briefs. Yeah. So. Okay. You get, you get some of those. I have some. Not, not Debian. No, I don't have Debian ones. That's true. <laughs> Uh, nor do I have Linux and Hamshack ones, and I really don't want them. <laughs> Thanks. And hey, BSD users, not to be left out, they got the yep. open BSD ones as well. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah, there you go. To so digress in a relevant way, I actually found out about a project called Ubuntu BSD today. That yeah. is interesting. How does that work? It's it's Ubuntu on top of the BSD kernel, so it's Ubuntu Unix instead of Ubuntu Linux, and it's a thing that actually exists. And so, you didn't download it and play with it? Uh, I didn't have the chance. But I know that's probably it's, on your list. It's on the, it's on the list, yeah. Yep. 
that just really screams something you would do. It's so. something I would like to try because I do use FreeBSD in many other ways. It would be kind of interesting to see Ubuntu with a BSD kernel. Anyway, Rich, since you were the one who put all this stuff in here, I'm more than happy to let you continue to talk. So you want to talk about SDR Academy 2016? Well, sure. Sure. Well, yeah. well of course. Why not? If I have to. <laughs> if, I was just trying to because I really didn't add much uh, other than these quick announcements. Flash topic. <laughs> so, Software Defined Radio Academy 2016, the SDRA 2016, will be a sub-conference to the renowned main menu, Ham Radio at Friedrichshafen, with 18,000 visitors. As it has become clear in many GNU radio and other community discussions that around 80% of the SDR community holds an amateur radio license, the real audience is more likely to be found at a major venue for radio enthusiasts. If you have conducted your own research and experiments, please consider our call for papers. So this is just a sub-conference to, uh, that will be uh, at Friedrichshofen there. If you got, uh, you know, maybe the HackRF guy should go. There you go. Maybe we should go. We can actually leave the country now. Yay. Well, that's cool. Um, Friedrichshafen sounds like a Hoffen event. A Hoffenen. Yeah, it's a Hoffenen event. Yeah. 18,000 visitors. That's that's right up there in uh, Hamvention territory. Basel to Friedrichshafen is only two hours and 42 minutes. How far is it from Berlin? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) He's like, I am not a travel agent here. (laughs) My people people are in the Neophon Basel, see? (laughs) I see. I do. I have people in Europe. Basel is in Switzerland? Northern uh, Switzerland. See, my, my family is from Sweden. Ah, that's farther away. It is a bit further away, yes. But <laughs> in, in relative terms, it's probably closer than driving across Texas. Yes, probably. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I would imagine. You know, it's so funny. It's like a couple hundred. Uh, oh, uh, Berlin to Friedrichshafen is 742 kilometers, so yeah, you can miles. You can do that way easier than driving across Texas. So, yes. <laughs> It's like a thousand miles from uh, El Paso to whatever uh, Louisiana. Yeah, from point to point. Yeah, it's a long effing way, is what it is. Yes. So the only other thing we really have to talk about, or at least that I have to talk about, is our generosity campaign. It's still going. We're doing our best to kind of push this along. We're trying to figure out how, if even if we don't get the money out of generosity to uh, get to Hamvention, we're we're kicking around some ideas and stuff. But anyway, don't let that dissuade you from donating. That's uh, something you have a mind to do. And even if you don't, please uh, mention it on your social media networks and whatnot. Uh, we'll take whatever donations we can. We'll we'll give out whatever perks we can, and we'll do our very best to be at Hamvention this year. So uh, again, just go to generosity.com. Search for Linux, and uh, you'll find us, or search for Linux in the Ham Shack. It's pretty easy. And, of course, the link will also be in the show notes. So if you can help us out, please do that. We're not going to work on beating this one to death. What we're going to do is we're going to go to our award-winning segment. Uh-huh. <laughs> I made up an award, and you won it. Uh, so it's so sh- where is it? <laughs> I don't have it. I'll get you a dollar. It's uh, Cheryl's Recipe Award. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, ah, a dollar. You'll have to borrow from me. I'll probably have to take it out of your (laughs) wallet. You'll have to dig it out of my wallet to give it to me. Yay. (laughs) Tell us what we're eating tonight. Come on. Tonight we are eating verde chicken enchiladas. You need one and a half cups of verde salsa. She said she uses Taco Bell brand. Uh, And you need to divide that. Some cooked chicken. Rotisserie chicken apparently is really good for this. Uh, some Southwest Ranch dressing. She said you, she uses the Kraft brand. Some corn tortillas and some Mexican style uh, shredded cheeses. And she said she uses Kraft as well. Heat your oven up. Throw these things together. Toss them in the oven. Twenty minutes. You got dinner. So, Sounds really good. We should yep. give this one a try. And we you should can definitely do, should. do it with the Mexican cornbread. Have you done the Mexican cornbread as a recipe? I have not done the Mexican cornbread as a recipe. All right, you're gonna have to do that. But if I do that, then you're going to want me to fix the Mexican cornbread. Well, naturally. That would be one of those video things, wouldn't it? Yeah, we can do that. We can do the video. You can make this, too, and then we can have dinner, and we can kill, like, six birds with one stone. All right. All right. All right, right, very cool. We'll try out the Verde Chicken Enchiladas. The the description and all of that stuff will be in the show notes. So that's it. That's that. We're going to move on to our social media roundup, and that's you, too. Yippee! Yay! (laughs) 
Alrighty then. So this week in our donations and subscriptions category, which is the same ones everybody gets all the time, is Jonas Rulo, Jeremy Hall, Michael Connolly, Harrison Kyle, Scott Pettigrew, Bob Yerke, Paul Griffith, Ronald Ike, Johnny Kinsey, Brian Smith, John Spriggs, Robert Halliday, Ben Schram, Michael Aiello, John Clark, Rob Branch Dash, Edward Donnelly, Donald Gover, Alan Wilson, Stephen Sainer, Dylan Engel, Jason Marinero, Ronald Nesler, James Blocker, Doug Redder, Mike Lasky, Darren King, Petro Karsakis, Donna Farron, and Gary Horlick. Uh, this week on Facebook, Gary Horlick and Anna Steele Grex joined us. On Google Plus was Magnus Crowley and Monster B. Twitter was at APACRNA, at Hubbard JW, and at ProLinuxNet. Nobody joined us on YouTube, nobody joined the mailing list, and nobody bought anything. Pretty much par for the course, but that's okay. Boo. That's okay. We have Cafe Press. Yeah, we still have Cafe Press. I've mentioned that on a post on Google Plus, that even though Printfection is gone, we still have... We still have Cafe Press, and I'm still working on Spreadshirt. I just have so much going on, I'm not getting around to it. I probably need to create some new merch, too. That's down at the bottom or at the end of the show, which means I have to push this button right here, and then there's, like, some music. Yay! And that means we're done. So, uh, you all have been listening to episode number 165 of Linux in the Hamshack. We really appreciate you all being here. You can become an LHS ambassador. Visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Hamshack at a nearby Linux con or HamFest. We love feedback. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info, comment on an episode on the website, post on Google+, Facebook, or Twitter, or leave voicemail at 199-LHS-SHOW. That's 1909-547-7469. You can visit our IRC channel, Octothorpe LHS Podcast, on the free node network. You can subscribe to our mailing list. Show merchandise from coffee mugs to t-shirts can be purchased at www.cafepress.com slash podcast. You can also help out the show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column of the homepage. You can listen to us live every other Monday at 8 p.m. Central Time. That's Tuesday at 0100 UTC. Our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode are on the website. You can check that website out at lhspodcast.info. Everything you ever wanted to know about the show is there, and probably a few things you didn't. Thank you to all of our listeners live and quasi-live, past, present, and future. We appreciate every one of you, and we hope you can donate to our generosity campaign, and we hope to see you at Hamvention in May this year. So my name is Russ. My call sign is K5TUX. I broadcast with Cheryl from Studio 3D in southwest Missouri, and we also have Rich with us, KD0RG, out in Greeley, Colorado. Good night, Rich. Good night, everybody. And uh, we hope to catch you all in a couple of weeks episode number 166. Take care, everybody. Good night. Chicken. And money.